Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. And welcome to the Ghibliotech, the podcast that flies the flag for the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leader, and I've seen the lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I'm entering the clubhouse for the first time. So join us on our quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. Hi there, Jake. Hello, Michael. We're back again. Oh, it's lovely to walk through these stained glass doors into the clubhouse of conversation. So this week we're talking about Goro Miyazaki's second film from Up and Bobby Hill, following the controversial Tales from Earthsea. Are you excited to talk about this one? I am really excited about this one. I, I was curious about it, but after watching it, I, I bounced into the office uh, excited to talk to you all about it. Yeah, producer Steph, I think, had text messages from both of us at the exact same moment of watching this film. <laughs> Lots of exclamation marks and question marks, I believe. Yes, significant ones. And I think this is the film where we definitely want to get people's thoughts on it as well. Yes, and we do have a Twitter account now, at Ghibliotech, if you want to tweet at us with your comments on From Up and Poppy Hill, if you want to criticise our placements in the leaderboard yeah. and Jacob's Ladder. Uh, and if you're like me and you didn't know what this film was about going into it, uh, and you were just as surprised as maybe I was. Please let me know. <laughs> and we should say, this is probably a weird film to do this for, but spoiler warning, we do go quite deep into this film. There are twists and turns and reveals. So if you've not seen this film and you may want to remain unspoiled, maybe pause the podcast, watch the film. We'll be here when you come back. Yeah. Uh, and it's only like 90 minutes long. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Mm. All right. Um, yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit about From Up on Poppy Hill. Nineteen sixty-three, Yokohama. As Japan readies itself to host the Tokyo Olympics, a wave of hope and modernization sweeps across the country. By the sea, a relationship blooms between two high school students, Umi and Shun, who team up to save their school's creaky old clubhouse from being demolished by this march of progress. But as they grow close, long buried secrets threaten to cast a shadow on their young love. So, Michael, this is a new one from Goro Miyazaki. He directed Tales from Earthsea, a film that 
is better than people say it is, but it's not perfect and is from that huge adventure epic side of Studio Ghibli and now he's totally migrating to a very different area of uh, narrative that we've also grown to love from the studio. Yes. So let's just check in with Goro Miyazaki first. When we left him, Tales from Earthsea had been released in 2006 to a mixed response, but it was only a couple of years later that he got a second chance to direct a feature. In our episode on Arietti, we mentioned that Hayao Miyazaki came to Toshio Suzuki with a five-year plan, and he was talking about how they would have these secondary features that other animators in the studio could direct while he takes a step back for a few years and these projects would include of course Arietti that which was directed by Hiramasa Yonabayashi and the second would be From Up and Poppy Hill adapted from a manga published in 1980 here's a quote from Suzuki we were in the midst of making Arietti toward the end of 2009 when Miyazaki suddenly suggested doing Poppy Hill it was to be based on a girl's manga of the same name years ago we had taken this manga under consideration but the project hadn't been realized. But now, when I heard Miyazaki's proposition, I began to think this was the right moment for such a movie. So Ghibli was making these two films back-to-back, Arietti and From Up and Poppy Hill, one right after the other. One's a relatively traditional Ghibli fantasy adventure, Arietti, the other a very real-world drama, something like Only Yesterday and Whisper of the Heart. Now, unlike Tales from Earthsea, which Goro Miyazaki, the son, uh, developed himself... Hayao Miyazaki was very involved in this. He, he co-wrote the screenplay adaptation and he had that amazing vague credit that comes up on these films sometimes of planning. <laughs> so if you saw that in, in the subtitles. But while production was underway, the Tohoku earthquake, and the tsunami and the ensuing Fukushima nuclear disaster happened in, in, in Japan in early 2011. And that made this a very strained production. Uh, in order to hit their deadlines, the animation staff had to go into crunch time. They had to do double shifts, dodging rolling blackouts by animating through the night. But they, you know, they did hit their deadline. The film came out in Japan in July 2011. And it does okay at the box office. It's the highest grossing Japanese film of the year, but it grosses nowhere near the heights of what you'd expect from a Miyazaki film. It takes less than half of what Arietti grossed the year before. Um, and Suzuki chalks this up to the fact that after Fukushima, there just wasn't much appetite in Japan for people to go out to the cinema. And besides, the film was so different to what Ghibli was known for at that point. He described it as a risky experiment in attempting to broaden the Ghibli audience. And he actually said it was quite successful in that regard. And, and uh, More female audience members, maybe a different demographic, would, were turning up for this one. It was the highest grossing Japanese film of that year, but there were three American productions at the Japanese box office that grossed more than it. I do love testing your memory <laughs> for what big films came out in a certain year, Jake. So this is 2011. Ugh. Three films grossed more than from popular Japanese box office, all American, all late installments in very popular franchises. <laughs> two from the Harry, same franchise. Harry Potter. Which, which Harry Potter films? Deathly Hallows 1 and 2. Yes. They were both in the top three. And um, sandwiched between them. Sandwiched between them. Another big franchise. Mm -hmm. End of franchise thing. It's a franchise thing. Hobbit? Nope. Um, 2011 franchise thing. How it's bit? very strange that this film 
was popular in Japan the year of a tsunami? I'm trying to think of films with tsunamis in. It's not necessarily a tsunami. It's one that may have um, stranger tides involved in it. Oh, Pirates of the Caribbean 4 <laughs> on Stranger Tides. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Interesting, right? Yeah. I was yeah, I was thinking pirates, but then I thought, oh no, there were three of those, and then there was one a couple of years ago. <laughs> like that that fourth one completely uh, passed me by. The Paris Caribbean franchise is one where that you always forget one of them. Mm. There have been five. Yeah. Justice for Salazar's revenge. Yeah, I mean, we all love Salazar. <laughs> what an iconic character. And when, and he, had, uh, when he had that revenge. Oh, I just love it. We, we'd all been asking to see it, and finally it came. But of course, the um, the opinion we really want to hear on From Up and Poppy Hill is from Daddy himself, Hayao Miyazaki. He's Daddy. Remember that he sort of refused to watch Tales from Earth, so he walked out of the screening, you know, via a, a middleman, gave Goro Miyazaki some feedback and so on. This time, because he was involved in the production, he was there. In fact, there's a special feature on the Blu-ray, which is a recording of the post-screening speeches when they finally showed it to the studio, the finished film. And afterwards, Misaki comes up. He's quite grumpy, grumbling to himself. And he starts quite positive. He praises the studio for hitting the deadlines despite the difficulties during production, delays with the screenplay, delays with the storyboards. But this is where Ghibli's true strength lies. They can hit their deadlines. But then he says, the work has its good parts and not so good parts. It turned out to be an immature kind of work. And he just can't help himself. He then starts laying into the animation and the art style. And he says, you know, that's not how you walk. And he starts walking up and down the cinema, showing how feet land when you walk. You don't stretch your leg out when you when you walk. And the background, too many parts looked weird to me. And he says, I don't know who made these technical errors, the animator or the director, but it was a very basic mistake. And all the time, the camera's cutting back to Goro, who's like trapped in the middle of a row somewhere looking <laughs> pretty awkward. And Miyazaki senior um, when he finishes his speech which by that point sort of peters out into negativity says oh I guess the director should say something now and he, they walk up the aisle and they pass on the aisle and they don't even share a look it's really weird on our um, Totoro episode from the British Museum Helen McCarthy put forward that theory that she thinks that this rivalry between the two Miyazakis was almost a, a stunt a publicity stunt on Toshio Suzuki's part but you watch that and it really feels like there's real tension. And it's only after Goro Miyazaki makes his speech where he pretty much apologizes for his entire ex existence by that point. Because how could you follow that speech? That Toshio Suzuki stands up at the back and says, let's hear it for Goro. And leads them up for, for, through applause for the actual director of the film who's been thoroughly dressed down by his dad. That's almost harsher than not saying anything about Tales from Earthsea. I know. That's brutal. It's a shame, isn't it? It is a shame because this film has some really strong bits. And, well, Goro Miyazaki hasn't made a film since. He made Ronya, the robber's daughter, which which was made in that hinterland um, where, where Ghibli weren't in active production. It was a, a TV series that was a co-production between Ghibli and the Astrid Lindgren Foundation. It doesn't look much like a Ghibli product at all it's a cg animated thing 
He's, there are rumours that he's in production on something now, but they haven't really spoken too much about it. But what a way to go out, right? Mm, wow. But what did we think about this film? Can we, can we build him up after he was broken down? Should we, should we see, Jake? Let's do it. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Jake, we've teed this up as Goro's second try. After Tales from Earthsea, this grand sweeping epic, he does something more grounded. You know I love Whisper of the Heart. Did this... It's almost Whisper of the Heart from the off, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Um, like, is it... Could you call them like the street level Ghibli films? Because um, <laughs> for for a long, long time, this is like off, like hitting some great beats uh, for me, mm-hmm. like and for the stuff that both of us have really enjoyed about those films. Um, like it got me from the opening. Like it comes in with this lovely jazzy score. And then an amazing breakfast sequence. How often have we spoken about the food in this film? Mm-hmm. And I don't care what Miyazaki Sr. is saying about the art style here. I genuinely think this has some of the best food that we've seen in Studio Ghibli. And that is so often something will people will hold up as a piece of iconography for the studio. And he has totally contributed to that with this film. Like there is, uh, yeah, the breakfast alone is a lovely little magic like and it's even got a lovely song another beautiful breakfast together and i made it all for you enjoy your meal but don't be late okay hurry up dug dig in now but be sure to taste every bite it's great isn't it yeah and umi is hard working she 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 works hard to make those break that breakfast work she works hard to square the finances of that boarding house that she pretty much runs herself right she's a fascinating character to begin with and we're very much in that familiar territory of only yesterday whisper of the heart where she's going to school there's a mysterious boy on the edges of her uh, of her understanding like who is it going to be it's very similar to that meet cute mm. of whisper of the heart um and then we see the clubhouse 
Yeah. And the clubhouse uh, is in a state of disrepair, but it's certainly got uh, something about it that looks familiar, doesn't it? It's Goro Miyazaki's attempt at the spirited away bathhouse, right? Mm. That sense that, like Gotham City in the Batman films, it's a character in its own right. This huge, decaying, colourful, decrepit building that seems to stretch on for infinite stories and every nook and cranny is filled by some sort of teenage boy with an obsession. And it's beautiful. It really yeah. is. I mean, um, it was really nice to see when we when we compared notes uh, on the film. We, we pretty much had a exactly the same things to say about this like just the the way that the light will pour in through the windows through this clubhouse that they just like illuminate dust and little pockets of bookshelves and these this stained glass that runs through it it's Mm. such a wonderful creation and then later on down the line in the film we get to see it cleaned and it's so satisfying uh and yeah it but it is a bit spirited away it's certainly a bit house moving castle it's very Halsby Castle, but also Umi is she's a she is a kiki, isn't she? She'll she'll roll up her sleeves and do the work. There's something a little outdated, maybe, but with the politics of that this film, where it's a clubhouse for boys and they need the girls to come and help clean it up. Yeah, and they're all in awe of how handsome the men are and that they've been let inside and how nice that is and kind the men are for doing that. But maybe that is just their attempt here to just be true to the period this feels like we've talked about a few ghibli period movies now but this one really soaks itself in those details Mm. goro miyazaki even talks in interviews saying that he looked at um period photography and footage of yokohama in the 1960s and it was not as bustling as the film that we saw we saw was, um, because because he thought, no, I'm just going to throw in all these people, all these storefronts, all these buses and trains, because he wants to show how alive with hope and possibility the country was at that point. Mm. And it's great, isn't it? When you have those scenes where they go down on their bike to pick up some food. I know that there's, I, I've mentioned this before, and I, I think you mentioned it too, that the bus looks like the cat bus. It absolutely does look like the cat bus. Yeah. Um, but th- th- these are the little delights that were missing from Tales from Mercy. It felt like he was overwhelmed by the story and the narrative and the plot there. Whereas in this one, he's really focusing in on these details. Oh, yeah. Like, I really love like the period Coke sign that's just in the background of a shot. Or the posters, like, slightly peeling, advertising uh, the Olympics the next year. Mm-hmm. They're just in the background of a couple of bus stops or offices like just those little details which you can tell felt like someone who just really wanted to build this world and who wanted to get it just right to how they saw it i know that you love highlighting when there's a piece of pop music Mm. on the soundtrack and this one has a banger yes I mean, several, but one particular. Yeah, Sukiyaki, um, which is a huge song. Like, this was number one in America as well. This was a, like an absolute mega hit and has been covered by loads of other people as well. Um, but I, so I heard the song and I recognized it and I wasn't sure where. And then I realized it was from, in, it's in Inherent Vice as well. And I that's how I. Mad Men recently as well. Yeah. That's how, how I knew about it. And so I, I went down a little hole. Um, looking up stuff about the song and so it was written by the uh, Rokusuke Ai and it was when they were walking home 
from a Japanese student demonstration huh. protesting against uh, the US military presence in the country. Right. And it was expressing his frustration at the failed efforts of that. And uh, so, and the lyrics are about this man who looks up and whistles uh, whilst he is walking so that he doesn't cry. And considering the, the students' revolt against uh, like, the con- like the possibility of people seizing control of their clubhouse, that they want to take back this space and make it theirs. And I just thought, without knowing the song at all, looking that up, thinking that is just absolutely perfect. And the fact that we actually see a little glimpse of it on TV when it would have yeah. been a hit, yes. like on top of the pops or whatever. <laughs> Um, and clearly that that's come from research and looking at what not only what would have been popular at the time, but what would have been like thematically the right thing to be showing mm-hmm. as well. I, th- I think it's fascinating that that film, that that song became popular internationally as an instrumental as well. So it takes away that quite you know, contentious, potentially angry, melodramatic lyric um, and is sold to America as an instrumental, taking away the fact that it's criticizing that the American occupation mm. and an encroachment of American culture. Yeah, and it's really interesting thinking about what you said in the uh, context of this film about Japan being in a period of having to rebuild mm-hmm. um, after the earthquake. And that, that is so, these characters in this film as well, just looking forward about having to get through that destruction. Yeah, we... we, we... When I when I quoted Miyazaki Senior's quite damning uh, appraisal of this film, we were we were painting it as being overly harsh, perhaps. But when he says it's an immature work, I do recognise that this is a Ghibli film that relies very much on nostalgia and sentimentality. That in a to a to a degree that far beyond what we've seen before. Ta- you know, Takahata's the master. At, going to the edge of nostalgia and always complicating it. We see that at the end of Pompoko. We see that in Only Yesterday. Miyazaki may hark back to some sort of idealized past, but it's always always tinged with fantasy. It's almost striving for something that can never be. It's always nostalgia. Whereas this presents 1963 as some sort of simple, idyllic place. And you, you say that there is that sense of a passionate youth that are trying to save their bathhouse. But thematically, on a political level, it, fa- it really intrigues me because at the time, 1960s, you did have this post-war generation that were coming of age and taking to task the older generation for maybe their implications in the war, maybe their uh, long-standing traditions and conventions that needed to be shaken up. And you see that in films of the period where they're railing not only against family structures but also against encroaching American pop culture but they're also embracing pop there's the Japanese new wave of the time I don't get much of that here mm-hmm. because it's what they're trying to save is the, the kids are trying to save the tradition and it's actually they're appealing to the adults to see that so they're not subverting or upturning any social norms here there, there's that chairman that turns up later in, 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 in the film, and the film treats him with such regard and reverence. This old bloke who's there saying, but we guys are going to modernize. But sure, if you want your old bathhouse, old clubhouse, you can have it. And they're like, but think about the old ways. It's a really interesting one. And in, you talk about Coke 
bottles and Coke signs. This is devoid of American influence. It's a time where you would not be able to to move without it. Although I must say it is the Ghibli film, I think, with the most English language in it because you have that moment where the girls go past the ham radio society and they're there tuning into some sort of American frequency and they're saying, hello, we are students from Japan. And that maybe just shows how you don't look to Ghibli for radicalism and radical thought. Maybe you do look to them for other things. And it's a real eye-opener for me that you then look at these other films that maybe the older Miyazaki made and you see the worldview and you see maybe the limits of that. Mm. It's a real interesting key in a door for me, this film. Yeah, and it, but for so long it's just... it. I think you, you can get bogged down in that, comparing it to uh, like a spirited way, like Chihiro and the, that character and what she's doing and how... Like we've talked about that type of Miyazaki character who is carving her own way in the world and that we can almost see a future for that character beyond the end of the film. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we have that mm -hmm. in this mm -hmm. film. It feels like everyone's mindset and everyone's focus is entirely to do, for better or for worse, the events that are unfolding as we see them and not beyond that. I mean, we've not discussed those events that unfold, have we? No, not really. Because, Michael, I got a worrying <laughs> message on the flagpole. And uh, <laughs> I I think that we might actually be related. Can we still do a podcast together if we're related? I don't care. I don't care what other people will say, Jake. Let's do the, still keep the podcast going. Let's keep podcasting. <laughs> what did you make of that twist? Oh, <laughs> oh my. Um, okay, so... This is insane. Uh, so uh, months and months ago when we were pl planning what films we were going to be talking about in all of these different series and we were planning the previous series where we talked about when Marnie was there. Yes. And I heard uh, producer Steph in the planning mention incest in, reg in regard to one of the films. And um, I then watched When Marnie Was There and I thought, oh, that's what she must have been talking about. And so we watched that film. And so then that thought was out of my mind. Little did I know mm -hmm. that there was another one <laughs> just around the corner for me uh, from Up and Poppy Hill. And that that's a big old twist that happens like halfway through the film. Like what a point to turn on. Just utterly mad and it is a bolt from the blue isn't it yeah and it's the sort of narrative wrinkle that is introduced that doesn't really stand up when you try and break down the plot on a beat by beat basis it's introduced he he finds out that they're they could be related so he starts giving her the cold shoulder and then she finds out and she says to hell with it let's i let's, love you i love you and then the next scene there's a there's a almost Richard Curtis type uh, rush to the harbour because there's a guy there who can tell them whether they're related or not and they're not related after all so it's all fine. But I I think you could do you could create the the dramatic stakes that the the story needs by create, doing something like oh yeah uh, your dad 
was responsible for the death of my dad during the Korean War because mm. he sent him off on this particular ship. And like, that's maybe how you could get to a point like that that has that same dramatic tension. Mm -hmm. But it's just so odd to go down that route. Yeah, I could, I could tell that this was clearly important to the plot. I think the original manga was, at, was set in 1980. And Goro Miyazaki talks about in the development of the film, 1980 was too close to the present to be to sustain a period film so they wanted to set it further in the past and i'd love to know if the manga has that plot point because it feels like it's playing on these social upheavals that are happening from the second world war from the occupation from the modernization from the korean war as well where there are orphaned people umi is you know her mum is absent her dad's long gone so it could just be that you don't know who your neighbors are. You don't really, no one has a past. We only have a present and a future. And that's why the clubhouse is so important to them. But it's just a strange wrinkle. And mm -hmm. when watching it with, when Marnie was there, you just think that if they have the, um, what are those briny no cue cards that he would, would, would deploy? Oh, oblique strategy oblique strategies in a, wait, if you have a experiencing writer's block in the re recording studio, I wonder if Ghibli have those and one of them is just incest, question mark? <laughs> yeah, it, it was a shame because for 45 minutes, I was thinking, why is this not as regarded as other films mm -hmm. that we've spoken about? Like, I'm having such a nice time. This is so jolly and lovely and so much fun to be around and i really like how like the the backgrounds look i like the detail of it i like that it's a bit more cartoonish it feels a bit like a kids film mm -hmm. um it's really easy to watch and then that just swipes like you completely blindsided by it because there's such beautiful little moments in it I, like the film made me cry like 40 minutes in what made but, you cry? What part made you cry? Um, there's a really, really nice bit where she's talking about her dad who mm -hmm. uh, who died. Uh, he was a sailor and she would raise flags whilst he was out on the boat. And so that they could um, send message, messages to each other with the flags. And she's telling uh, the boy this story uh, and then says, and then he died and he said, that was that. But I never stopped raising the flags. And that just really got me. Mm -hmm. um, and then it, it pans over to these boats and the these long shots of just boats going up and down the horizon. I could just watch that all day. They're, they're really beautiful shots. And like these little moments like that, I really, really loved. But just to take such a wild hairpin turn in the story uh, was quite disappointing. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Well, it's melodrama, isn't it? Yeah, as they say as in the they film. say in the script, it's, that's almost like a, a Hollywood thing to do. We've talked before about how great a screenwriter Miyazaki can be, uh, Hayao Miyazaki can be. You know, Whisper of the Heart, Porco Rosso. We we talk about these great scripts he writes, um, and this one feels like something that he wasn't fully on top of. Mm. I would. I wish that Goro Miyazaki would make a third film. I think that that this showed great strides on stylistically as an animator, as an animation director from Tales from Earthsea. But we should see where this one comes, where From Up and Poppy Hill comes in our overall rankings. Okay, Michael, it's time to move on to the leaderboard. Um, outside of our 
Miyazaki's and our Takahata's, there's only been one person where we've able to see an evolution of climbing the ladder. Uh, and that was Yonobayashi, who jumped three places for you between films. Uh, is Goro going to be able to pull off the same trick? I think Goro, yeah, Goro definitely improved between these films. And this is going to be higher than Tales from Earthsea, which is bottom of the ladder for me. <laughs> so, of course, he's going to improve from there. This would come in that lower tier just because there's so much promise that it just doesn't really pay off. It's probably sandwiched between House Moving Castle and Arietti. I know that placement of House Moving Castle is is controversial to some listeners, but I think this is better than Tales from Earthsea. It, he doesn't improve to the degree that Nyan Bayashi did with when Marnie was there, which is still better for me. Yeah, um, I'm pretty similar there. I, I do think this is better than Tales from Earthsea, um, but I don't think it's as interesting as when Marnie was mm-hmm. there. Um, we talked about how like that really goes for some wild ideas um, thematically and stylistically as well. And I don't think Bob Hill is as, as bold as that film. And Yana Bayashi is just a more gifted animator mm. than uh, an animation director than Goro Miyazaki is. When Marnie was there, if you were just going to assess it as a visual film it would be up there with any of the any other film in the, yeah. in the canon um so for me that that tucks between the two so that mm-hmm. would place uh poppy hiller's 15th for me. i think it's 16th for me yeah uh, this is obviously a pretty controversial one we'd love to hear your thoughts on it and you can let us know them at at Ghibliotech on twitter Yes, also, we are going to Japan. We're going to Tokyo for the last week of November. And the Twitter account is a great way if you want to send us any recommendations. We'd love to take off some fan favorite spots while we're out there. So let us know at Ghibliotech. And thank you for joining us for this week's episode. Next time, we're going to have another Isao Takahata wildcard. It's his final Ghibli feature that we've not covered so far. It is My Neighbors, the Yamadas. Jake, do you have any idea what you're getting yourself in for with this? Not at all. It's just got a Takahata name on it, so I'm very excited, naturally. Um, All I know really is that it's not a traditional narrative feature. It's kind of just these little sketches, uh, but I'm very, very excited about it. I can't wait to watch it with you and talk about it. But until then, you can follow Jake at Jake H. Cunningham. And you can follow Michael at Michael J. Leader. Ghibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. Our music is made by Anthony Ng, our artwork is by Sophie Moe, and Jamie Maisner is our audio wizard. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Harold McShill, and Steph Watts. That's me. Hi there, listeners. Thanks for sticking with us through the credits. Now, this week's tidbit is another one that might be apocryphal, but a few sources say that Goro Miyazaki has a voice cameo in the film as the school's world history teacher. At least that's what a lot of English sources say, like IMDb and Wikipedia and a few other anime cast listing sites. I can't find a Japanese source to corroborate that, but keep an ear open for him and let us know if you hear him. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.